Amen. Good morning. How are we doing this morning? Okay, great. Two of you. Perfect. That's good. Uh, hello. Let's try this again. Good morning. Uh, there we go. How are we doing? All right. Perfect. Thank you. <laughs> I promise it's not a one-way conversation at this moment. So thank you for those of you who replied and responded. Uh, I'm assuming the rest of you are just hanging in there. Uh, I know it's been a lot going on this week, a lot happening in the life of our church, a lot happening in the life of our, our membership, uh, just individually and corporately. And uh, man, I tell you, it's, um, it's wild. It's been a bit of a surreal week as uh, those of us in the office, um, elders as well. Um, man, it's been, it's been crazy, crazy week because we've realized that we're coming into the Christmas season, like we're at the, at the end of another year. So um, hello, how has your 2021 been? Um, it's been a blur. Uh, for many of us. And so it's just kind of wild to think that we're right here at the end of the series of Philippians, fixing to wrap this thing up and, and really see what the Lord does. And so here we are in our final chapter of Philippians, Philippians chapter four. This is our series that we've titled Joyful Unity. Again, we're going to wrap this series up uh, starting this week. We'll conclude this series next week uh, by finishing up uh, Philippians chapter four. And then, man, without Without a pause, without hesitation, we're going to jump right into our uh, Advent season. And so before we get there, man, Paul still has some words for the Church of Philippi. He's got some words of instruction, some words of encouragement that's going to come for the local church. And I think these are words that we also need to hear as well. So as Paul wraps up his letter this morning in Philippians chapter 4, as we read this together, man, we're going to see that Paul is still seeking to shepherd the church. Paul is, Paul is urging the church to continue to be united, to rejoice in the Lord, to be gentle with one another, and to pray together, both individually and corporately, over anxious moments, and then to think on the things that are praiseworthy and good and excellent. Now, we're going to read a passage together here in a moment that is really all too familiar to too many of us. But what I want you to do for the next few moments is to realize what it is that Paul's teaching us. Paul's teaching us today, as well as the church of Philippi, that if we focus our, our minds and our hearts on Jesus Christ, then we will be able to find unity within conflict. Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you up front, I don't know where you're at right now. I don't know what's happened to you this week. I don't know what things have been said to you, what hasn't been said to you. I don't know how your job's going. I don't know how you're doing. If you're a teacher or a first responder or a nurse, I can't imagine, or a doctor even, I can't imagine what you're going through. Maybe, maybe you're, a, a, you're in college and classes are getting the better of you. Maybe, maybe you're into athletics and things just aren't going very well at the moment. Uh, maybe this has been a great week for you. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe this has been a rough week. I don't know. But what I can tell you is this. From my perspective where I stand today, if there was one passage in Philippians that I dreaded preaching, it was this one. It was this one. And so I want you to hear my heart this morning. I don't stand before you today as a, as a pastor who's fixing to preach a passage that has it all together. I'm preaching it today as a man who is a mess. A man who is a sinner. A man who is like all of us. We are sinners in need of grace. And so even though we have encouragement and instruction in our passage this morning, I want us to hear that Paul's going to lay out some steps for us, not only for, for the church of Philippi, but also for us today, that honestly, I think if we were all honest with ourselves, we probably don't get right. You see, if we were to stop and think about who we are as a church for a moment, I'm, uh, I've noticed that church, especially in Western culture, church has taken on a negative connotation. 
And I'm not just talking about how non-Christians see the church. I'm also talking about how Christians see the church as well. You see, we have a, we have a low view of church right now. And we have forgotten that the church really is a family. The church really is a body of believers. So whether you want to call it a church, a fellowship, a body of believers, whatever it is, we're all a part of the family of God. And so as a family, man, we are going to have conflict. If you've ever been in a relationship, you know that you're going to have conflict. Now, again, I'm not talking just about a a marriage relationship. I'm talking about any type of relationship, okay? So unless you have the perfect job that requires you to live in a one-bedroom condo by yourself and you never have to leave home and all your work can be done online and it requires no interaction with people, then you may get nothing out of the next few moments we have together. And you might be living the perfect life at this moment. Because here's the reality, whether it's relationships with friends, with coworkers, with colleagues, with classmates, even within our own homes, relationships can be messy. Why? Because we're people. Because we're sinners in need of a savior. Because as people, we seek and desire to be in relationship with one another. And so naturally, in the midst of these relationships, we're going to find ourselves in moments where we don't often see eye to eye. We're going to have moments where expectations, whether realized or whether unrealized, are not going to be met, and words are often going to get miscommunicated. Now, I don't know about you, but the first thing that comes to my mind, and uh, I I really think it's funny that Reese and Catherine are back today because I actually shared this with them in our first counseling session, but the first thing that pops into my mind when it comes to to miscommunication is I immediately think of um, Abbott and Costello. Some of you guys familiar with Abbott and Costello, the comedians? Yeah, so I have on deep, some of you, some of my old folks are like, oh yes, this is me. Uh, Me too, I'm with you on that. Uh, One of my favorite things that I've ever seen them do, my favorite sketches is who's on first. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I've got that on DVD. If you don't know what that is, then let me encourage you to reach out to your pastor and come over and watch it. It's like 10 minutes, but it's just 10 minutes of pure comedic gold. And it'll make you laugh. But the funny part about the sketch is the whole thing, the whole punchline, which is based on timing and words, it's all based on miscommunication. And it leads to conflict and frustration between the owner of a team or manager of a team and one of his own players. You see, when we look at our text today, Paul Paul knows that relationships are going to be messy. Paul knows that conflict is going to be a natural problem for the church. And so he reminds the church not only of his love for them, but he also wants them to realize that there are now steps that we can personally take in order to find unity in conflict. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, man, I'm going to encourage you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to begin reading in verse 9, and and once you have found your place in the Word of God, I'm going to ask if you can, and if you would, stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Now again, here is Paul writing to the church at Philippi, a, a word that is important for us today as well. Paul writes, beginning in verse 1, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Sintichi to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. 
Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you right now thanking you for this morning. And Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that we have just to take the next few moments to to just simply spend time in your word. Father, another week has come and gone. Another one's about to begin. And by your grace, here we are. Father, this week has been far from perfect for many of us. We have been far from perfect. Even today, we come in with distracted hearts and distracted minds. And so, Father, I pray that for the next few moments that we have together, help us tune our hearts, our minds, our ears, and our eyes to your truth. Father, help us to see where we can better communicate and faithfully serve each other for the glory of God. Father, help us to be the ones that set the example for the world to follow. And may in our actions and our words, may they point people to Jesus Christ. Lord, relationships are messy. We know that. We see that. And so, Father, we pray that as we reflect upon your word, as we think upon our own relationships, God, help us to correct in areas that need correction. Help us to rejoice in areas that we get right because of you and your grace. And in the areas that we fall short, Father, help us to look to you as our comfort, our grace, and our guide. Lord, we love you, and we ask that you speak and move through your word in these next few moments. For it's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, again, if I could set the scene for you briefly, I want you to see that Paul speaks to really some of the serious struggles that all Christians are going to encounter in a fallen world. You see, we too are a part of the fallen world, and this is not just an issue for the church at Philippi that Paul is speaking to, but rather I believe that this is an issue for us today and one that we are seeing played out, whether it's culturally being played out or our part in that culture or even within our own churches or as a a, a sisterhood or brotherhood of churches, if you will. You see, the reality for us today is all of us are going to struggle at some point with conflict. Now, I'm not going to lie to you, man. I'm about to share with you some points from the Word of God that even myself, I realize that I don't get right. I am constantly reminded of that. Praise be to God, I have a staff that holds me accountable. I have elders that hold me accountable. I have church members that hold me accountable. And I have a house full of women who hold me accountable. 
Every woman in my house is a very beautiful woman, but even, even in moments in our house, there are times where we all have our own versions of the same story, which can ultimately lead to conflict within our own home. And here is the reality that I have learned in living in a house full of women. No matter what I say or do, I am never right. And I have accepted this. I have come to grips with this. Whether it is my wife who I love and adore or my children who I love and adore, I am not right. Even my six-year-old has now corrected me on areas that I thought I was correct, but clearly I was not. You see, we've all dealt with conflict in our own way, shape, and form, right? But here's the problem. If conflict amongst a brotherhood or amongst a sisterhood of Christians is left unaddressed directly, then that conflict will lead us to have a lack of joy. That conflict will will lead us and rob us of grace and the grace that we should show for one another. Conflict, if left unaddressed, could lead to anxiety or stress over our lives as we begin to think through all the things we wish we'd have said. In fact, it's even in that that thought process when we play the mental chess game with one another about what it is we wish we'd have said and what it is we wished we hadn't said that could ultimately lead to impure thoughts that are similar to calling down fire from heaven. Now, you may not know what I'm talking about, but I want to ask you this question. Have you ever felt this way about someone before? Have you ever said this to the Lord? God, I pray for this person. But Father, you know, and I know that you know if you were to blink or if you were to, to turn your face away for a moment, or if you were to close your eyes for a moment, and me and this person walk down a dark alley, you know that only one of us is walking out. So Lord, by your grace, let that happen. Have you had that prayer? If not, don't. It will accomplish nothing. Some of you may have prayed that way about me. I'm not real sure. But here's the reality. We all deal with conflict. In fact, in Paul's own day, Paul was hearing about these very same problems within the church at Philippi. You see, there was conflict within the church, and it was not being handled correctly, nor was it being handled directly. Now, yes, here's the reality. Even though the church at Philippi was dealing with conflict, they were still a great church. But the truth is this, even great churches are filled with incredible people who will struggle with sin, and they will need the word of God to correct them. And so like the church, we need to be able to love one another through conflict and be willing to have hard conversations even with the folks that we think are saints who could do no wrong because none of us are perfect. Look with me in verse one. Already in Paul's own writing, we see that Paul is hard at work in shepherding the heart of the church. And so when you read verse one, you should probably like put this in parentheses or bracket it, whatever it is that you do. Because verse one should encourage our hearts as well as it encouraged the hearts of the church at Philippi. You see, Paul uses phrases and words like my brothers, whom I love and long for. Phrases like my crown and my joy. Phrases like my beloved. 
You see here already in verse one, Paul clearly loves the church at Philippi. You see for Paul, the church that was there at Philippi was a crowning achievement for the ministry of Paul that God had called him to. And so his heart soared with joy, even in the midst of prison when he thought about them. And so as we today read this verse, we too should feel that same love because we are also a part of the local church that Paul is talking about. You see, I want to remind you that these words from Paul weren't just Paul's words. They were Paul's words spoken that was uh, inspired by a very heart that was completely enraptured with the love of God. So when we read these words together this morning... We can rest in knowing that this is what God says about us as well. Could you imagine God saying these words to us? My church, who I love, who I long for, the church that is my joy, the church that is my beloved. You see, here's the truth about God. When we think about God in terms of Philippians chapter four, verse one, we see that God loves us. And because God loves us, he will never leave us. It is God who convicts us according to his word and he convicts us because he loves us. It is because of that same love that we can say that God wants and desires to complete the work that he has started within us. So you see, here's something we need to remember today just from verse one. When you are in the midst of dealing with conflict, whether it's conflict you brought about yourself or conflict that you're dealing with someone else, never lose sight of the fact that you are loved. You are loved by God, the creator of the universe. So again, let me unpack this, man. Whether, whether you have wronged someone, whether you have misstepped in an area that needs to be corrected, I want you to hear this today. You are loved by God. Maybe you're the person on the other side of it. Maybe you're the one who is offering the correction. Maybe you're seeking to correct someone else's missteps and it's been a hard challenge and a hard conversation. Then hear this this morning. You are still loved by God. Now I want you to notice going into our text that Paul also calls the church to stand firm. Now this phrase literally means to endure or to never give up the Christian walk. You see, in light of our citizenship that Paul has already mentioned, we are now being reminded to persevere through conflict when it comes up amongst the family of God. You see, here Paul encourages the church to keep living the Christian life faithfully. So whether you're dealing with conflict with a friend, whether you're dealing with conflict in your marriage, whether you're dealing with conflict within your finances, whether you're dealing with conflict in parenting, whether it's your own personal conflict that you're dealing with in terms of temptation or in mission or your struggle in prayer, Paul reminds us to never give up on the Christian walk. Paul calls us to persevere. Now again, I want you to think about those words. And I want you to think about this question. By what power can we now stand firm? By what power can we now endure? Paul answers this question when he says the phrase, in the Lord. 
Now, Paul tells us that our strength isn't found in how long we've been Christians. Notice Paul doesn't tell us that our strength is found in how many mission trips that we have been on. Rather, our strength to stand firm is now found in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And so as Christians, we need to be in Christ, to remain in Christ in order to stand firm. So from here, we get into verses 2 through 9. And Paul's now going to string together several steps in in how we can personally find unity in conflict. Now, I think, again, this is something that we all need to hear this morning. So please, for the next few minutes, just tune in because there's going to be some of these steps that we can say, amen, I'm getting right. There's going to be some other steps that we're going to look at and say, man, I am messing this one up. And then there are some other steps that we're going to be like, Lord, I'm just trusting you with what you're doing with this this morning. Now, again, all these themes that we're going to mention today, they've all come up before already in the, in the letter to the Philippians. And again, these steps, this is not a fix-all for everyone who's involved in conflict. But rather, when we read these steps together, we need to take these steps personally as we walk through our own conflict. Because you see, for the Christian, the goal for conflict should always be to bring about unity. No matter how hard it is, We should always strive and seek unity. Now, again, I want to unpack this real quick because several folks have asked me to to define terms a little bit better, and so I'll just define this one for you. Right now in the Western churches, there's too many Western Christians, when they get to conflict, they leave. When it comes to conflict in the church, they bail. They say, well, you know what? I don't like what Costco's offering, so I'm going to go over to Sam's. And the problem is that is not how God has called us to treat the family of God. People think that when they leave a church, it matters not to anyone who's there. But the reality is it hurts everyone when you're not present. So whether you're, you're here in this moment and you're feeling this way right now or whether you're, you're talking to someone who is thinking this very same thing, I want you to dial in for the next few moments. And let's listen together as Paul gives us steps on how to seek unity in conflict. The first thing he tells us we find in verses 2 and 3. He says, in order to seek unity in conflict, you have to seek to agree in the Lord. Now again, Paul opens here by making a a final plea for unity. And he does this by, by calling out specific people. In our passage this morning, he says, I entreat Euodia and I entreat uh, Sintichi to agree in the Lord. Now, clearly, this is a serious issue for Paul, so he expresses a public and clear rebuke to them. Okay, so the best way to imagine this is imagine all of a sudden if there was some sort of conflict going on in the sanctuary or some sort of conflict going on in the church, and all of a sudden in the middle of the sermon, the pastor sees you doing something wrong and he calls you out for it. I mean, could you imagine that? Could you imagine how embarrassing that would be? I'm going to go ahead and tell you. I sat in a church service one time, and man, we had a pastor who could preach fire. I mean, this dude was just fire. I felt like at the end of the service, by the time he got to the point where we were going to take communion together, I thought he was just going to burst into flames, okay? Like spontaneous combustion, okay? Like, I mean, you could see him as he preached. He would sweat. His veins would begin to pop out. His, his, language, his language was awesome. He'd get louder and louder and louder. And I just thought in a minute, he is going to turn into one of the Fantastic Four, flame on, and he was gone. I mean, that's really what I thought was going to happen. And so as I'm listening and I'm, and I'm taking notes, all of a sudden in the middle of the sermon, he just paused. He just stopped and he looked over at two people and he called them out by name and he said, and I won't tell you who their names are because I know one of them actually watches these recordings. But anyway, 
He called them out by name. And I mean, in that moment, I want you to know, he didn't call my name, but dude, I froze. Okay? Their names weren't even close to my name. In fact, they were sitting on the other side of the sanctuary from me. And yet I still froze and I looked up. And he looked at him and said, hey, I know what you're doing. Stop. I don't know what they did. I almost felt like I needed to come to the altar and pray for repentance because I thought he was talking to me, even though he never said my name. So literally, that's the moment we see Paul in right here. He's in a moment where all of a sudden he's, he's calling out people publicly. He's, he's dealing with a public issue. Now, is Paul being mean or is Paul being insensitive in this moment? No, he's not. We've already seen in verse 1 that Paul loves these people. He, he loves the church. Now, again, not much is known about these particular women or what it was that their conflict was or what they were dealing with. And it seems to be that there's not a doctrinal issue here at play. So many of the scholars that you read about when they talk about these two particular women, they just assume that there was a problem within the leadership. And so that's why Paul calls them out. Now notice this in the ESV, Paul uses the word entreat. Now, he says this because he's urging these women. He's urging these sisters in Christ to work out the differences that now stand between them. Paul wants these women to to work towards unity. That's why he says to them to agree in the Lord. Now again, to make his point on unity, literally Paul is saying to them to have the same mind which is in Christ. Paul is calling both of these women to have right attitudes towards each other so that they could continue to faithfully work together. Notice what Paul does. He points both these women to the Lord because he wants them to submit to the Lord. He wants them to be like Jesus Christ and imitate humility and imitate a a willingness to serve others for the cause and the sake of Jesus Christ. It's the same thing that we just recited when we we recited this Christ hymn that comes from Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Paul wanted these women to keep the gospel central to their conversation and to pursue an attitude that is similar to Jesus Christ. So when we look at these words this morning, we have to ask ourselves, when in conflict do we seek to model Jesus Christ in how we handle our words or even in how we handle our behavior. Now from there we look to verse 3. And Paul now alerts the church and he calls for intervention when he asks or says, yes, and I ask you also, true companion, help these women. Now again, we don't know who this true companion is. We don't know if it was a specific person or not, but what we do know is this. There are times where there is a call for others to help step in to resolve issues peacefully. You see, as a faith family together, we are called to seek reconciliation when we have brothers and sisters who are in conflict. Now, does this mean we have to get directly involved with every situation? No, absolutely not. Hopefully, people can work themselves out between the two of them. However, if we do find ourselves involved then our ultimate goal should never be to hear one side of a story and say, that's it, I believe them. 
Rather, our goal should be to see restoration and reconciliation occur. Paul goes on to say of these women who have labored with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Now, this is important for us today. Excuse me. It's important for us because Paul reminds us that these sisters are genuine. He reminds them and he reminds the church that they are all co-laborers for the gospel. He's literally saying to them, look, I know this is hard, but don't forget who you are. You belong to the family of God. You are, you are sisters. In this text, you are sisters in Christ. Just like today, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are co-laborers for the gospel. And so Paul says to them, remember who you belong to. You see, the reality for us today is, man, we're going to have conflicts. Why? Because the church is all about relationships. I don't know if you figured that out yet, but it is. It's all about relationships. We're going to have some great days. We're going to have some celebrations. We're going to have some great conversations together. But there's also going to be moments where we're going to have some hard conversations as well. So if we're looking at this text and we see Paul's words, in order to agree in the Lord, we have to seek grace-filled humility. Why? Because here's the reality. When it comes to division, when it comes to conflict, division can and will damage the health of the church. Not only that, but division can and will damage the effect our witness has on the world, both individually and corporately. You see, the reality is no one wants to be a part of a group that doesn't like each other. I mean, seriously, who's signing up for that group, right? How many of you have walked into a room and realized, wow, no one in here likes each other? Have you ever been a part of that? I've seen that. What's the first thing you do? Hey, sign me up. I want to hang out with you guys. No, you don't. You turn and walk out. You're like, hey, the food was nice. I'm out the door, right? I've literally had that conversation. I remember being a part of a group, being a part of a party, got invited to it, realized not everybody knows each other, not everybody likes each other. Most people in the room don't like each other. And I walked out and somebody asked me later, hey, how was the party? I said, the food was good. What about the people? Not so much. The sad part, most of them were Christians. You see, as a church, we need to fight for unity. As a church, we've got to be willing to lay aside our petty differences. We've got to be willing to, to lay aside our petty differences that, that lead to sideways conversations because those things, man, they don't glorify God. Because ultimately what they end up doing is they occupy our times with things that are truly trivial. And so i got to ask ourselves this morning, man, do we seek to agree in the Lord or are we too focused on our petty disputes? This leads us to step two in what Paul was talking about in seeking unity in conflict. He says in verse four, he says, for you personally maintain a joyful heart. Now again, read the text with me in verse four. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. You see, Paul knew that the church needed to hear these words because there were so many things, there were so many conversations, there were so many conflicts that were now beginning to rob them of their joy. 
And so now Paul calls the church to simply rejoice in the Lord. We sang about that in the first song. Why? Because joy comes from our relationship with Jesus Christ. Now you may say, why is that so important? Because too many of us today hinge our joy on our circumstances. So if anyone truly understood this point, it would be Paul. Remember that Paul was writing from prison. Remember that it was Paul and Silas, I should give him credit as well, who sat shackled in a prison. And what did they do? They sang hymns of praise to God. You see, too oftentimes, we think we get joy when we get what it is that we desire. And the reality is that's not true. See, joy for the Christian comes when you realize that what you deserve is judgment, yet what you have received is salvation. Joy is not about getting what it is that you want, but rather it's about being grateful for all that you have been given in Christ Jesus, who is our Lord. You see, we need to remember these words, because again, these words were coming from a man who, if you remember back in Philippians chapter 1, we called him the happiest man in Rome. And again, he was not happy because of his circumstances, but rather in spite of his circumstances, he still had Jesus Christ, and for Paul, that was all that he needed. Now again, if you look at the text here in verse 4, you see the word always. Now here's where the command comes from for the Christian. You see, Paul's not teaching us to simply be happy for Jesus, but rather to realize that even in our hardest moments, even in our darkest times, we still have Jesus Christ. So when sorrow is all around us, it is his light that still shines. So as we find ourselves dealing with conflict, man, let's remember that in order to have a proper attitude, we need to remind ourselves of the joy that comes from knowing Jesus as Lord. So in our conflict, do we see the joy that is found in Christ? Is that joy enough? Man, my prayer is that our answer is yes, because if it's not, then I wanna encourage you at the end of the service, find an elder and talk to them and let's pray and, and, and talk this through together. This now leads us to point number three that Paul gives us on seeking joy in unity, or excuse me, seeking unity in conflict. He tells us in verse five that we are to be gracious. <clears throat> now again, Paul says in a text, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Now the word reasonableness is really hard to translate in the Greek, but for us today, it literally means gentle forbearance with others. And so Paul calls the believers to handle conflict with a gracious and gentle spirit towards one another. You see, Paul in this text shows us that we need to willingly give up our own personal preferences. We need to give up our own personal prides. It's not about who is victorious in this moment, and rather we should be showing grace to others for the sake of the gospel. It's almost like Paul saying, look, Christians, we need to do a better job of being gracious. We need to do a better job of being gentle when dealing with conflict, both inside the church and also outside as well. 
And so if Paul were to ask us a question this morning, he would say, hey, listen, when you're dealing with conflict, are we acting the way that we have been called to by the word of God? Or are we simply quick to point the finger at someone else because we want to condemn them? Because we want to be victorious. You see, the reality is when you're dealing with conflict, own what is yours. Own what is yours for the sake of the gospel. Notice in the text, Paul says that the Lord is near. Now, there's a lot of different meanings that this could mean for us today. Actually, there's really two, but it could ultimately mean that the Lord is returning soon, or it could mean that God is always near to us. Either way, what we know is this, is that Jesus Christ's presence and his impending return should cause us to live differently in the present. In other words, knowing that the Lord is near should cause us to remain close to him. It should should call us to, to call upon the Lord, to seek to glorify him, even in the midst of our conflict. And so again, I ask, man, are we gracious in our handling of conflict or do we pass blame to protect our pride? We move from there into verses six and seven. And we see that Paul gives us our fourth step in seeking unity in conflict. And he says to us, relieve your anxiety with prayer. I mean, I think this is a big one for us today as Christians because too oftentimes in conflict, this is what we do. And, and, and go with me for a moment, excuse me. I apologize. What we do in conflict is this. We tend to play the mental chess game, right? I've yet to meet someone who's walked out of a a hard conversation who didn't all of a sudden play out the next 20 moves of the conversation. Literally, I've I've never seen that. I've never seen somebody just walk out and say, yeah, I'm good. But we do. We play mental chess games, right? You probably have done it with your spouses and don't even realize it. You've probably walked out of the room and said, man, let me tell you something. When Skylar walks back in here, I'm going to say this, and then she's going to say, but dad, and then I'm going to say this, and then she's going to say, but daddy, I love you, and I'm going to say, but I don't care because this is what's going to go down. You play, right? You do that? Am I the only one that does that with a six-year-old and I'm getting mentally lapped by her? Truthfully, right? We all do this. We, We play this mental chess game. And so what ends up happening to us is this, man. We, we start playing this mental chess game with one another and then all of a sudden the conflict just eats at us for hours. And then hours turn to days and days turn to weeks and weeks turn to months. And ultimately all it's doing is robbing us of our time. It's robbing us of our rest and chances are the person on the other side has no idea what it is. I mean, it's almost like walking around with a 200-pound sack of potatoes on your back. I mean, who really wants to do that? I love what John Piper says on anxiety. He says this, man, anxiety seems to be an intense desire for something accompanied by a fear of the consequences of not receiving it. Generally, the desire is something that we value. And then ultimately, when we don't get it, when we don't get our way, we imagine a worst case scenario as to why. And so we begin to worry. We begin to play out the conversations in our head, even though those conversations haven't even taken place yet. You see, again, Paul recognizing this, having a burden for the people's souls and a concern for their spiritual future, he gives the church several ways that they can overcome their anxiety in this passage. He tells them, do not be anxious about anything. In other words, he says, listen, don't worry about things in a sinful way. Now, let me unpack that for a minute because, yes, there is some worry that is healthy. When you're worried about a person's salvation or you're you're concerned about them uh, coming to faith in Jesus Christ and you're praying for them, that is good. When you're, when you're praying for your children and their, and their walk in life and them coming to faith in Christ, that is a good thing. 
But when we start to worry for things that ultimately don't point to the gospel, when we start worrying about things that, that rob us of the gospel and rob us of glorifying God, then these are not good. So Paul tells us, listen, don't worry in a sinful way. Notice what he goes on to say. He says, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Here Paul simply states, listen, don't worry about anything, but rather pray about everything. Now, if those words don't resonate with you, listen to the words of Martin Luther when he says, pray and let God worry. Maybe that's not enough, and you need the words of D.A. Carson this morning. I love what he says. He says, I have yet to meet a chronic warrior who enjoys an excellent prayer life. You see, for us today, we can and we should pray with thanksgiving. We can and should pray with intercession, because even in hard times, we can still be thankful as we reflect upon the goodness and mercies of God. And so Paul in this text is literally saying to us, look, man, cast your burden on the Lord because God will sustain. So remind yourself of the goodness of Jesus Christ and let God deal with the rest. Why can we say that? Because again, if you go back and read Psalm 127, we learn that God never worries. We learn that God is in total control. And we learn that God loves his people. Moving on in the text, Paul says, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now again, Paul is not saying that prayer will keep us from having problems, but rather prayer will help us have peace in the midst of those problems because God's peace will guard our hearts when fears and anxieties arrive. You see, when we have God's peace, even when it doesn't make sense to have it, that's almost like salvation. We have it, even though we don't understand it, because it was given to us by grace. So Paul tells us, man, if you want to fight your fears, you want to fight your worries, you want to fight your anxiety, then fight them with the promise of God's peace through prayer. You see, here's the truth for us this morning. We grow anxious and we worry when we fail to remember that God is the one who is in control. We worry when we fail to see God's promises to his people. We move from there and we get into our final step. This is step five in finding unity in conflict. Verse eight and nine, Paul tells us, hey, you wanna seek unity in conflict? Then think on things worthy of praise. Now here Paul gives us the final step in the Christian thought life. Paul shows us that what we think actually matters. And so he calls for God's word to saturate our minds so that we can be renewed and kept from offensive ways. So notice what Paul says in the text. He says, think on what is admirable. Think on what is true. Think on what is honorable. Think on what is just. Think on what is pure and lovely. Think on what is commendable and morally excellent. Think on the things that are not of this world. Now, I would encourage you to go back and and look up the definitions of each of those words, but the phrase that I think, or the word that I think we need to focus on this morning is the word think. 
Because in the Greek, it means to take into account carefully or to calculate. Notice what Paul is saying to the church. He's saying to them, listen, think, ponder, dwell, consider carefully and reflect on the things of life that are true and good and beautiful according to the ways and the word of God. You see, here's the reality. Since God is the creator of this world, it shouldn't be too hard for us to find something that is praiseworthy in the world. And if you can't, because you're not seeing what God the creator has done, then let me encourage you to turn to the word itself. You see, Paul, in the midst of conflict, calls the church to think biblically, to think in a Christ-centered, Christ-exalting way about the things that are good according to the word of God in this world. So man, if you're finding yourself in the midst of conflict this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, how are you taking your thoughts captive? Paul now closes by calling the people to follow his example again in verse 9. Now again, the theme of peace and imitation comes back up for us. And so Paul here concludes that we should imitate those who think on holy thoughts, who, who set their minds on their creator and redeemer. So what about us this morning? Who are we following? Maybe the better question is this, man, what example are we setting when others see how we handle conflict? Again, Paul shepherds the church in a grace-filled and loving manner. Why? Because Paul wanted the church to be unified because Paul recognized that Jesus Christ is the one who unites us and so Paul wants us to remember our savior Paul wants us to to look to him as our righteous renewal so what comes out of us when conflict comes our way do we focus on Jesus Christ do we see that our joy ultimately rests in him? Do we think upon him and the goodness of who he is? Do we pray and offer these worries back to the Lord because he alone is in control? Are we gracious when it comes to our actions and our words? Again, the way we handle conflict will continue to reveal what we believe about Jesus Christ. And the truth is we're not always gonna get it right. I don't always get it right. But praise be to God for his grace and his mercy. You see, as a church, as Christians, man, we are in the world, but we are not of it. And so as Christians, let's set the example for grace. Let's set the example for resolution and reconciliation and restoration. Let's set the example and show the world how we find unity in conflict. Let's pray together.